0: this episode of apartment investing for early retirement. I am your host Derek Loda and today's guest is George Abreu. George is both an active and passive multifamily investor. He is the CEO of Elevate Commercial Investment Group and also owns a construction company, JNT Construction. It is a great episode talking about George's story from how he got started in real estate to how he started his construction company, what made him get into multifamily investing, and some tips and tricks that he's learned along the way to help you on your journey, whether you're an active operator or a passive investor. George is a great resource to follow along, learn from, and be able to use to empower your investing moving forward. Enjoy today's show. So George, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Um, yeah, I figured just jump right into it. Uh, I know I've been following a lot of your stuff that you've been, been posting on, uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, everything like that. Um, a lot of great stuff, highly encourage, uh, just in general for people to make sure to connect with you. But for those who aren't, uh, familiar with you, would you mind just giving a little bit of your background, your story of what, what leads you to, uh, today?
1: Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. So, um, started investing in real estate about 15 years ago. Um graduated from college with an electrical engineering degree. Um, during that time, I kind of knew I didn't want to go into the engineering field. Um, and that's when I started looking more into real estate investing. And um, ended up graduating and, and I went to work for UPS in the engineering department. And then um, started doing deals on the side. And finally, did enough where I felt comfortable leaving my W two and and doing real estate uh, full time. Um, that was single family homes back then. Uh, did quite a bit of wholesaling and fix and flips. Really uh, took a liking to fix and flips. You know, taking transforming a property and um, adding the value that way. So started doing quite a bit of those and then um i wanted to scale up and to do that i kept running into the issue of finding good contractors and not getting burned and um finally to the point where i decided to bring in uh start my construction company my own company and start doing uh the rehabs ourselves and uh it it helped You know, it it took a lot to to get the systems right and, 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 you know, get it working smooth. But um, once we did, you know, we were able to do quite a bit of fix and flips a year. And then about four years ago, I was introduced to multifamily syndications. And, you know, the fact that I didn't even know what that was. So before then... I thought you had to have millions and millions of cash to come in and, and buy these apartments. Um, you know, I figured there was debt you can get. I mean, that was another thing I didn't realize the financing was so much better on the commercial loans. Um, so as soon as I was introduced to that, I mean, I, I fell in love with the idea of owning apartments and then having the scale instantly and, and just buying one property, you've got hundred plus units. Um, so I started educating myself and, and uh, networking and just engulfing myself in that industry and, and um, that sector of real estate. And um, started doing both single family and multifamily in the beginning and decided to, that I needed to focus a little more and, and decided to stop doing single family altogether. I did keep the construction company. Um, it does go hand in hand with what we do on the multifamily. Um, we no longer do anything single family as far as renovations or ground up. I guess I kind of skipped over that. Did a lot of ground up, um, construction as well and, and, and those type of projects. Um, so now I'm, I'm solely focused on large multifamily. And, um, as of Friday of last week, we're a little bit over twenty one hundred doors now, and growing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, I know quite the uh, quite the toll that adds up, and it can be a little bit overwhelming when people think about that. And I'm sure you know, like like you mentioned thought you needed to have millions in the bank to be able to get into it. And, uh, I went through the same thing. Didn't even know that it was an option. I figured I had to do single family duplexes, stuff like that. And maybe 20 years later could get a, you know, 50, 60, 80 unit building, you know, but yeah, it, it's something that until you're, you're aware of it, uh, you would never even consider going into it. the power in multifamily is, uh, incredible, uh, once you get that scalability, but, uh, you know, when you were kind of making that transition, once you heard about it, what were some of these hurdles that you had, you know, like, how did you, obviously you had the experience with the, with the construction side, you had built that up, but how'd you kind of go about assembling the rest of your team? How did, how did you really get that start, you know, towards, towards getting those first couple of deals?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing I noticed is, so I, I still did have the construction company running. So, you know, that was taking some of my time. And then um, the, the market was really hot. So the deal flow was there, but the, the pricing seemed outrageous on a lot of these things. And then um, I would spend the time to underwrite them. And then for the numbers to just be way off um, and not make any sense. So I guess the first bottleneck I kind of ran into is, is being able to have the deal flow. You know, without a deal, you don't really have anything right um so we brought somebody on board that that could um solely focus on finding deals and and underwriting them um, or at least doing a high level under underwrite to where we know it's at least good enough to spend some time on it so that that was the first um piece of the puzzle and then uh that worked and we started landing some deals. And then um, then we realized that we were going to need somebody for investor relations and, and helping with raising the equity. Um, so we brought that piece of the puzzle. And um, now we're looking at maybe uh, bringing someone to solely focus on asset management and um, possibly some more on the raising equity side as well.
0: Yeah, so when you were kind of going through from that process, from when you were, you know, starting to go towards, uh, towards multifamily until you, you got that first deal. I mean, it, it it's kind of similar to, uh, the last, uh, couple of years with deal flow has been pretty good, but some of the pricing is, uh, a little out of whack. You have to you certainly have to take a look at a lot of them to find a good deal, but, um, you know, how long was that process from interest in it, putting that team together until you were taking down that first deal?
1: Um, time-wise, I think, uh, somewhere between six to nine months, I think, till we, till we found our first deal. Um, that sounds about right. Okay.
0: And then was that, uh, you know, did you just from the start go right into, uh, you know, some bigger value add deals, uh, with your construction background or, uh, did you kind of just do a little bit more of a, a stability play there, uh, to start out?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I can, I can go more into the process of finding that first deal too. You know, it, it, it did take about, I want to say at least a hundred deals that we under, underwrote um, until that one penciled. uh, it was smaller than, than we wanted to find, but, um, it was off market and, uh, we were able to get it at a low basis. So we thought it was it was good. You know, looking back, I'd I'd probably want to go more units. It was 37 units, um, you know, uh, which makes it a little difficult to have the proper onsite staff that you really want to. So you wouldn't have to be so hands-on. But it was, it was a good learning experience. Uh, And then our next one after that was 260 units. So we kind of learned our lesson quickly.
0: Um, nice. So, you know. I'm sorry, I didn't
1: answer your your question as far as the, the value add and renovation. So yeah, that, that one was a complete, um, we did a complete change on the, the tenant base, uh, complete reposition. Sorry, that was the word I was thinking. Um, we rebranded it and uh, I think the market, Rent was off by 250, I think or so. Um, so we knew we were gonna have to pretty much get rid of everybody and, and um, a lot of uh, drugs being dealt <laughs> and um, a lot of stuff, stuff going on in there. So you know, first thing we did was secure the property and then uh, we did a complete renovation
0: yeah, so you really jumped right in. That was that was a project and a half to, to start out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So obviously, uh, you know, you kind of learned from that, and you know, just the scalability aspect, where you know, made quite the jump from that first deal uh, to the second one in in terms of unit count, but also from stuff that you've learned, not even just obviously since that first one, but general again going back to a lot of your content a lot of stuff that i i see you post uh refers obviously with that construction um company and that background that uh, extra expertise there is on due diligence and capex um would you mind just touching why don't we just start with the the due diligence aspect of it for some of the key things that a lot of people you know especially a lot of earlier investors uh might not be aware of to, to check out i mean again there might be uh some unique situations depending on where that that market is but just in general what are some some key things that people have to be checking out
1: yeah i mean there's some items that if you know you don't get them inspected and you don't put them into your capex budget um you can find yourself underfunded and um having to either not renovate as many units as you wanted to, or having to do a capital call or whatnot. So, um, you know, the biggest one is plumbing um, and there's a lot that goes with plumbing. So one is your your sewer lines. You want to make sure to get those scoped and, and have a good idea of what you're dealing with. Um, you know, having to fix a broken sewer line under a building could co- cost quite a bit. Um, so, you want to make sure you have that budgeted for. Um, if you've got boilers, you want to make sure you inspect those. If um, one of those goes down and you've got to replace it and it's not in your budget, I mean, you know, that could be 50 grand right there. Um, then, kind of the same with uh, HVAC as well. You want to, even if you have individual HVACs, um, what we do is we, we take a survey of, of the age of all the units. Um, that way we have an idea of, you know, depending on when you do your inspection, you may not notice that there's a bunch of AC units that are out, but then when that summer hits, especially in Texas, um, you're gonna be getting a lot of calls if your ACs aren't working, um, that's the last thing you want. So what we got plumbing, HVAC, your roofs, um, don't uh, don't just take the owner or broker's word for when they were installed. Um, roofs can easily be installed incorrectly. Um, and that way you, you wanna make sure you have a professional check them out. And especially if they're flat roofs, I mean, there's a lot that can be done to kind of cover things up on flat roofs. Um, drainage and drainage gets overlooked quite a bit and it can cause a lot of issues. So if the water is not draining away from your property and it's draining towards your property, um, it can cause, you know, foundation issues. You can have water intrusion. Um, so you definitely want to get that checked. Um, Those are some of the major ones. I would say one thing too is during your due diligence, take your your upgrades into account as well. Like don't just focus on the deferred maintenance, which yes, you need to know that for sure, but also get numbers for your upgrades and what that's going to look like so that you have the full picture and you, once again, you come in with the right amount to get your your business plan executed.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think... uh... You know, it's just a lot of people might might look at that for what is just the immediate repairs that need to be done, and uh, oh, all of a sudden, it's you
1: know, it's great. But how about the upgrades you plan on doing? You know, what's that going to cost?
0: Yeah, yeah, the upgrades, the stuff that's going to generate that additional revenue, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, you're burning through your budget through fifty uh, percent of the units you thought you were going to be be doing. But I, I do want to go back to the flat roof. Um, aspect of it. Cause I know uh, I've, I've spoken with many people that they won't even consider properties that have flat roofs and others are, you know, there's no problem with it um, for you, w- with your company and, and just what you've done with it, you know, is there a, a certain like type of roofing material or stuff that, you know, people should really watch out for like an added layer with that, where some might be fine and, and others, you know, if it has this type of job that was done to it, you know, it, it can come up as a red flag?
1: You know, not not necessarily. Um, I guess the one that's probably the hardest to kind of um, determine the, the condition of the roof would be a, a tar and gravel, um, where you literally just have like gravel laid over the flat roof. Um, you know, it's hard to see any issues in that. And it's hard to, um, pinpoint where your leaks are coming from as well. Uh, So when I see those, I'm most likely going to overlay or replace that roof. Um, But other than that, I mean, all the other materials, you you can get um, a good feel for it with a good inspection. And then as long as you're budgeting to do whatever needs to be done, then you're good.
0: Yeah, similar to others. I think it just, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's been a few more quote unquote horror stories with it, but uh with flat roofs versus versus pitch roofs, but it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just making sure that it's the the right that the job that was done well and uh being able to to know how to remedy the issues. Right. So, uh, you know, now moving into a, a little bit of the, the CapEx stuff, you know, obviously that's, that's something that, um, again, goes back to, you got that construction background. So you've been able to, I imagine, be able to get a much better rein in on, on what those costs are. Um, but from going through with your portfolio and, you know, just, uh, kind of seeing what others have done, what are, what would you say is some of the stuff that, you know, is really an overspent item for improving it in in terms of, I mean, again, um, it kind of ties in each market might have different demands, but like from your experience stuff where where people just keep spending more money on a renovation, they're over renovating, uh, you know, an aspect of a unit where, you know, it's where they're not really trying out like a different article, maybe like with countertox countertops <clears throat> excuse me going to granite versus you know just uh, a laminate a nice uh, you know an hd laminate or something like that you have anything on that
1: um it's a good question um you know with the countertops that's the first thing that came to mind but then again it, if you're getting a good rate on 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 your stone on your granite it's not that much more than than the formica um now, whether I would do new cabinets and new countertops, that depends on the market. I, I've, I've probably seen some overkill on that on that end. You know, redoing the cabinets and redoing the countertops in a market that doesn't really—it's not going to get you that return um, on the investment. Um, other than that, you know, I' I'm trying to think of. Uh, something else that that stands out um but yeah nothing's coming to mind as far as interior units you know maybe on the exterior um i would say on amenities like don't just do certain amenities to kind of check off that box and and you know say okay well yeah i put in the playground we're good um you know actually do something that you're you're Tenant base is going to enjoy and that they and that they want. Um, I can give you an example. So we had planned on doing. It was actually a dog. A do- <clears throat> sorry, a dog park. And um, before we moved forward with it, we, we took a survey um, of the tenants and, and asked them what they would really want. And a soccer fields kept coming up, and the kids there was an area where the kids would go and they would play soccer and we had to be replacing windows left and right. Um, So we decided to go ahead and and put a soccer field instead. And I mean, they loved it.
0: Yeah. I remember seeing, uh, seeing pictures of that transformation completely change that space. Do you, you know, do you really, when you're going into, uh, when you're buying a property and, and you're, going to be going through for amenities and uh just your upgrades do you usually do a survey just to see you know get a gauge for what that tenant base you know what's going to be the best added value to them for amenities or you know was it just kind of a situational one uh for that property
1: if it's not obvious then then yeah definitely i mean we're, we're always speaking to the residents and um as we're doing our walks, we're always talking to them, asking them what they what they like the most, what they like the least. Um, I mean, you, you've got to stay in touch with them. Um, that's how you're going to one build a community feel, two, you know, help your turnover. Um, and I think that that gets overlooked sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it again, it's. It, Our our residents are our customers. You have to keep the customer happy. What is going to be able to, you know, create that sense of community because it really is a community within a community. So, you know, again, what's going to keep them there? Well, obviously you need safety, (laughs) safety, you know. You have a, a staff that if there's a, a maintenance issue, you know, it's it's dealt with. It doesn't take two weeks to get a new air conditioner in the middle of uh, August in Texas, uh, you know, and yeah, being able to, again, create that sense of home where they enjoy going back there at the end of the day. It's not like, oh, it's my junky apartment. No, this, yeah, come look at where I live. You know, we have the soccer field for the kids. It's great. It's all this stuff, you know, that's going to keep them there because turnover costs, I mean, that, that adds up, in know, in a hurry. So if you can keep them there from being a two-year resident to being a four-year resident, I mean, that it's, that, that's really where a game changer can come in because you, you may, you make that investment to make the units themselves and the property, you know, nice, but how are you keeping that that feel that, you know, the, the likability of that community for those residents to keep them there.
1: Right. you increase the product ownership as well, in a sense. And, um, hopefully less, you know, if they do leave, they won't leave the apartment a disaster, hopefully.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're always going to have it, you know, we're, we're dealing with people, but yeah, I I just feel that when you're taking care of them, you know, I mean, it's going to come back to you because if, if everything is being, maintained i mean it's it, it's impossible to the stay you know 10 steps ahead of everything stuff's going to come up but if you react to it promptly take care of it i it, i just feel like it sets the tone you know mm-hmm. it sets the tone for the whole community but you know um for for the types of properties that you're you're getting what is what's like the ideal deal um for your group you know what are you what are you looking for and kind of the thought process of of what goes into um you know, into those into those renovations and just kind of that, you know, when you're when you're taking a look at uh, property that comes across the underwriting, it's enough to kind of go into that next level. You're getting it under contract. What what does that deal look like for you?
1: Yeah, no, uh, we're actually working on getting a, a PSA signed on a deal right now that that fits that perfect box. Um, you know, it's got uh, all classic units. There's not one upgraded unit. Market rents are under, or sorry, the rents are under the market rent by um, three 300 to 500. Um, the property's got good bones. Um, it's got new roofs. Um, just hasn't been upgraded. You know, it's got none of the cosmetics to it um, and none of the upgrades on the interior. So, you know, that's a true value add deal. Um, it's not some of the properties we see now where, you know, it's been bought and sold in the last 10 years, three times. And, um, everything's been, uh, deals just been squeezed and squeezed and everything's been renovated. And, uh you know, the, the broker's still going to say value add <laughs> um, and they're going to tell you, I don't even know what the value add is anymore. I don't even want to say backyard anymore. I think they, those are, those are already done too. So now it's, uh, I don't know, stainless steel appliances. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing is when you find kind of those, those golden tickets, like, like you're mentioning, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work that goes into it. You need to know how to, you know, reposition and, you know, have that, have that expertise in there, uh, to be able to manage uh, a project like that. But, you know, if you say that someone, uh, comes across a deal like that and, uh, they just don't have the experience with a, with a true value add, you know, what are some recommendations for how they can, you know, kind of go about, um, you know, what that person should really look like for that experience, not someone that, uh, well, I've done one, well, I was a limited partner on one that, that was a value at, you know, kind of, how would, how would you recommend um, someone kind of going through that process uh, just to avoid a couple of, of pitfalls?
1: Um, You're saying if they don't have the experience, but they want to be one. Yes. uh, I mean, one is, bring someone on your team that does have that experience. I mean, that would obviously be the easiest route, um, you know, a project like that takes a lot of, uh, scheduling a lot of experience and, uh, budget wise, you know, you can easily blow through your budget and, um, not be able to finish that, that reposition, um, so, you know, I would say one partner with somebody that does, if not, then you definitely need to bring uh, vendors that have that experience, like, you know, putting your budget to pay a little more for that contractor that, that, that can definitely help you um, through the process, um, property manager that, that is experienced in doing those type of uh, projects. And, um, I think that's very important because I mean, if they're, if you get a property manager, that's used to being in a uh, B class, A class, um, and doesn't really do any heavy lifts and then you put them in that, um, yeah, it's going to not work out for sure.
0: Yeah. It's not like, uh, some might think because everything going around it, it like you said, it, it's being labeled as value add, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's very, uh, thin for the, the value to be added. So people, you know, might think, oh, it's not that bad. You know, I just have to go in and yeah, put stainless steel appliances in. Well, all of a sudden you're in, in a pickle when you have, uh, you know, a heavy lift and, uh, you have no idea what you're, what you just got yourself into, but, um, you know, uh, kind of to wrap up, um, this, you know, the, the show obviously being apartment investing for early retirement, you know, what does, what does that, Mean to you? You know, you you had this uh, this degree, but you didn't want to go down that path uh, with engineering. You you end up going into uh, flipping. You have, you know, you start your own construction company. What is you know, and obviously now expanded into multifamily with uh, an extensive portfolio. What is that? Was that retirement? You know, quote unquote retirement look like to you? What does that mean to you?
1: You know, to me, it. it... it means uh time um freedom financially free and and time to do whatever it is i want to do um spend the most time with my family is 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 what i'm trying to do and, and, and my goal um but on the same token i mean i don't me personally i i love to work and I and I love to build the things that I'm building, um, but to where I can grow it to a certain extent and have the right team in there, where I'm more um, just spending a little bit of time making sure we're heading in the right direction, um, checking in on my team, and that's it.
0: Yeah, just get that oversight role and yeah be able to, uh, again, the one thing, uh, one thing we don't get more of is time. It's a finite amount there. So make sure that it's, you know, really getting that sense of really, what is, what is my time worth to me? You know, because I think a lot of people, you know, that, that do go into, uh, flipping, for example, they think that, you know, it's, yes, it is an investment. You are real estate investing, but it's a job. As soon as you stop marketing to get that next one, you know, and the uh, next one and next one that money dries up quick. So it, it, it really is And just to change that, you know, how much time did you spend working on that versus now with a portfolio of over 2,100 units, you know, that's a, that can be a game changer. Whereas now you're able to start working towards that, uh, you know, just being in that oversight and, you know, you get to love what you do. You're not working a hundred hours a week and life's pretty, uh, you know, it gets a lot more enjoyable at that point.
1: And it's all—it's all about the passive income, you know. And the different uh, when you have cash flow coming in, and and you're not having to spend hours to create that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And just the security of it—the the, the level of stress that decreases when you when you're not. Yeah, you don't have to go work for that money every single day. You have to go do it. Where it's just—it's just flowing in, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's incredible to hear just the way that that's progressed too. And uh, you know, it, it's that's the thing is, what would you still be doing now if you never had that uh, that conversation? That uh, you know, Paquette, which this kind of leads into the next question of, you know, what that moment was—an uh, event, a book, that uh, whatever it might have been that really opened your eyes to multifamily and made you take action. So we'll get to that, but just uh, kind of a two-part question is the way that multifamily has changed your life versus maybe that path that you would have been on uh, continuing with, uh, you know, with doing those flips, having that um, aspect before making the leap to multifamily. So uh, yeah, just to, to bring the question back. Was there a certain event, I know you mentioned there was a point, but what was that and and something that really made you take action into multifamily and how has directly multifamily the one thing that has made it worth all the effort?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, you know, it was some of what you described there. You know, I was, uh, back then it was maybe, so i had been at it for, 10, 11 years um, and I just kind of put my head down and and in the grind, you know, working in the day to day um, and I was, I guess, getting burned out, you know, I I was just, it was a lot of hours each day um, and at some point I just felt like I wasn't really getting ahead, you know, it was kind of just um you know we were living a, a decent lifestyle but it it if I wanted to take it easy one day it wasn't going to happen <laughs> um and then i think what what really changed things is um when we had um our first child and um i didn't have an office space back then I was kind of working working out of the house and um there was uh, so much going on. And I just, I realized, well, you know, how am I going to be there for that child? How, how am I going to spend time with them? Um, And that's what kind of got me looking around and and seeing what I can do, what adjustments I can make. Um, And that's really when I started focusing on building the team, especially for the construction company and, and getting that to where I wasn't so involved in the day-to-day and then, um, and then looking into the multifamily, um, and, you know, I wasn't one instant or one, um, one thing that happened. I think it was just all of it building up. And, um, and then I think, uh, then we had our second child, but not too much after. And, um, I think that's really when it, I, I knew it was time to do something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of a domino effect. Everything just finally gave that that big enough nudge. And yeah, I mean, you know, kind of look at that. I, I had a, a conversation with someone um, earlier today that uh, again has been in the flipping business and took very well, but mentioned the same thing. If I stop that money stops. So it started to get into multifamily, but that's a big focus for this year for him is to really just focus on that focus on what that end goal is they ended up bringing in a partner for the the flipping side to kind of handle more of that and it's just again getting those priorities straight and you know to be able to like i mean they were a little bit farther along uh all, all their children are uh you know are older but um yeah it's just the moment when you realize that what those priorities are and you know it's when you really have that deep conversation with yourself and, uh, you know, it really gives you that, that nudge. And obviously, um, uh, the rest, the rest is history, uh, to this point, I mean, it built up, uh, an incredible portfolio and, uh, yeah, again, I, it just the amount of insight that you share too, I think is very beneficial to, uh, um, to the community as a whole is just these quick little videos, these posts for what you're doing, the way you go about it, you know, and that's something that I think is really, uh, really helpful for myself and and for others. So certainly appreciate that. Uh, But, you know, if, uh, if people want to, to reach out to you to learn more about what you do, um, what would be the best way to go about that? Where can they find more about you?
1: Yeah, um, our website, so elevatecig.com. We update it quite a bit. It's got a bunch of free resources, um, upcoming events, podcasts like these um uh so yeah elevatecig.com. uh if they want to shoot me an email they can go ahead and shoot me an email as well it's george or jorge j-o-r-g-e at elevatecig.com, and um i can also share some free resources i've got a due diligence checklist and a bunch of other forms i can i can send
0: Great. Well, yeah, we'll be sure to have those in the in the show notes for an easy uh, easy click for people. But again, George, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, always appreciate your insight, and uh, you know, enjoyed having you on the show, and look forward to to seeing your continued success in uh, in multifamily.
1: Thanks, there Appreciate it, man.
0: Take care. Thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. Please be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on Facebook and Instagram. The links will be in the show notes. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to share it out on social media so that we can reach more and more people to help educate them about the opportunity that multifamily investing provides to help reach their version of retirement sooner than later. Take care, everyone.